Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, for another Anatomy movie. Today we're doing The Founder. It's the story of how McDonald's really got started, starring Michael Keaton. That's right, he's in another biopic. So stay tuned as we discuss it. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Anatomy of Movie. As always, this is your warning. Uh, this movie's going to be spoiler-filled, although it's a biopic, so ultimately history's been written. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting about the founder is that, um, you know, I you know, I never looked at McDonald's and looked at the history, so I never right. knew the story, so it is new to me. Um, we have Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. How, how's it going today, Phil? Uh, it's, it's going well. It's going well. Um, this is an interesting movie. I would even call it uh, The Wolf of Fast Food because I think it's, it's, it's a little bit more palatable than uh, Wolf of Wall Street was, but sort of somewhat of the same themes. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we're definitely going to discuss that. Um, but as always, overall impressions of the founder. Sure. Well, let me start. With, I mean, is it, is it fair to say that McDonald's is part of Americana pop culture yeah. history. I mean, throughout it, I mean, I grew up, I grew up on McDonald's, meaning to me as a kid, McDonald's was a treat. You know, mm-hmm. it's when the parents might have come home or the parent came home, really couldn't, like, tired, didn't want to cook, and it was always like, hey, tonight we're going to do McDonald's. I didn't have it every day, every week, but when I did have it, it was a treat as a kid, to have McDonald's. I don't know how it was for you and your family. We did uh, Burger King. You did bur- <laughs> oh, you were Burger King. Okay. Yeah. Uh, back when Burger King was still sort of uh, up there. Yeah. Um, less so now. But yeah. I, I get that, and obviously it's, it's you know, I mean, it has a huge implication. Uh, you can look at the stats. It feeds 1% of the world daily. That's huge. That's, who could say that? Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember too. Every McDonald's on the their, their their sign, you know, it used to be so many millions served. Like that was the big deal for McDonald's. Twenty million served, twenty five million served. You know, when they were talking about their hamburgers, and I remember when it reached like a billion. That was like a big deal. Um, and again, uh, uh, regardless, I mean, we're, I don't think we're necessarily. We may talk about health. Or whatever, but as a kid, it wasn't that. When I say I grew up with it, McDonald's is always a part of my life, just mm-hmm. growing up. And again, I remember McDonald's was a treat to go to. It wasn't a fallback on, like you know, it was. Hey, we're going to McDonald's today, kids. Awesome, you know. And then you'd go home, and even during those summer months, if your folks were doing a cookout and grilling and they were cooking hamburgers. You always wanted it to taste like McDonald's. It's like, can you make it like McDonald's? It's like, nah, that's too thick. <laughs> that's too big of a burger. Like, you know, you're a kid. You didn't know any better. Um, but it, it, it's just fascinating how McDonald's has been such a part of, of fast food and such a part of Americana. Um, so for me, this was a fascinating patty of American pop culture history and it showcases the American dream like one half of it is all about the American dream and then it goes into the corruption of that American dream I don't know does that sound like 
does that remind you of anything recently? Perhaps <laughs> I don't know. Um, Michael Keaton is excellent uh, as Ray Kroc. The re- I call him the real life Hamburglar, you know, um, and who literally he literally did put McDonald's on the map. Starting off with the pins, like he put McDonald's on the map. Uh, but I also say, be warned because after watching the founder, you know your 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 Big Mac might taste a little bitter. Well, you know, you know I, I, it's interesting. I mean, this this movie, I thought one of the best movies I've, I've seen in a long time, long time, um, and I really enjoyed it. And I am kind of half torn um, simply because you know I get. You know, I don't. I look at Ray Kroc, and there's a lot of good qualities. You know, the, the whole idea that he's listening to this this track over and over about perseverance—that mm-hmm. you know, talent isn't the thing that wins out, and so forth, and all these other attributes. It's perseverance. Um, okay, I think that's something to be respected. Um, but at the same time, you know, I also do feel bad for the brother. So you know, I'm torn because it's fifty-fifty, um, and in some ways. You know, uh, I, I like the portrayal that they did, and in many ways, I'm now interested just in general, um, from a personal standpoint, the the story of McDonald's as a whole. Yeah. Because I think you know, I think um, again, seeing this, there were good qualities, but it also led to the deterioration. And as you talked about, there's the whole health concerns, and we went, you know, and we got to let's say the supersize me era, mm-hmm. where it just that was a bad. And but yeah. now. I think they're also responding. And, the, sure. you know, there's a part of me, well, the fact that they're responding, they've expanded their menu to salads and this, you know, is that to be overlooked? Um, you know, right. I'm, I'm just in general, I'm torn about Rain Kroc and McDonald's as an actual company. Yeah, it's, it's, it, that is the weird, uh, and as we talk more about this, that is the weird tightrope that, that um, John Lee Hancock, uh, the director, had to, had to walk. Um, and, you know, he was like one of the things that he said fascinated him about this project is that it really is about the American dream and working hard. And look what we can do. Look what look what you have this amazing product. We want to build it up. And that part was exciting. Then it sort of takes this turn where the American dream of like putting in that hard work, you know, it's like greed is good. Like, when does it end? Right. When is it ever going to It's never going to end? That's a theme throughout this movie. If I was gonna, you know, if I was gonna complain, my my one complaint about this movie is that it just doesn't explain away Mac and Me. That's that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And if you probably don't know what Mac and Me is, but Mac and Me was a McDonald's produced movie, Mac and Me, that came with that was literally born out of the ET era, and it was McDonald's version of ET, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was it was a two or hour and a half commercial for McDonald's. I believe it was produced by. McDonald's. So it was a horrible, horrible movie. And that was sort of a horrible joke, but sometimes the jokes are just for me, folks. Um, But I really think, too, though, that Michael Keaton's role, you know, he approached it and he was having dinner with John Lee Hancock. He was he was offering the role and he and and Michael Keaton said to him, he goes, you know, I'm not sure I'm the guy you want to go to. He goes, you might want to think about getting somebody else. He goes, because. I'm not going to back off on who he is, meaning Ray Kroc. He goes, I don't believe in begging for someone to love you when that's not your job at hand. If I said, you want me to soften this or go, oh, shucks, he's really not bad. It's like, I'm not your guy. He goes, 
That said, don't play a role where you say, I'm Floyd the Barber, but then you decide to make Floyd the Barber some kind of maniacal prick. These are his words. He goes, that's not exactly accurate either. But when the guy does what he does, he goes, you play that. And John Lee Hancock was totally on board, and hence Heaton became totally on board, giving what I believe one of his best performances, I think even better than Birdman. I thought this was one of his great performances uh, in this movie. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. He was, um, you know, going back to that line um, when he does tell the wife, it was so early on, it was so telling in, in, in the greatest of ways where she says, you know, when's enough enough? And him, without any hesitation, never. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, I, I do think you know, why he makes this such a great role is because you're, you know, you're teetering. And, and I do look at that and I say, okay, uh, you know, I, I, it does beg that philosophical question. Okay, like I don't think having the dr- – I think he has a drive right. and not relenting from that drive is a good thing. But I, I also, you know, it makes you wonder, is there a right balance to be able to have that drive without, uh, right? you know, doing what he did, you know? But so it's it's. And to it's be fair – you know, and to be fair, just to like, you know, I mean, this is a guy for all intents and purposes, you can relate him to. He was like a Willie Loman. You know, this could have been death of a salesman. This is a guy who is a tra- literally a traveling salesman who is pitching um, mil- milkshake spigots and multiple mi- milkshake spigots and not having the best of luck. Um, <clears throat> and he would try and try. Uh, this is at the beginning of the movie, and um, his 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 assistant or secretary at the office was like, "Oh, you know, we actually have uh, an order for I forget six. the number. Was it six? It's like, come on, it's got to be a mistake." She goes, "No, it's six. She goes, "Where is this place?" She goes, "Oh, it's a hamburger joint out in um, San Bernardino." And it, now, for me, I did not know that McDonald's had its origins here in Southern California. Um, and he drives out to the operation, and this actually was one of my favorite scenes of the movie, where he comes across the original McDonald's, owned and operated by the McDonald brothers, and he sees people lined up, not unlike the way you see people line up, uh, uh, forgive me, I'm going to be very t- uh, territorial, in an out burger. Uh, out here in Southern California, which really hasn't branched off. And we'll talk a little more in and out, I guess, later, too. But he waits in line, and he's he's sort of kind of like, okay, what am I doing here? He gets up, and may I take your order? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll have a cheeseburger, a uh, fry, and a Coke. He's like, okay. All of a sudden, the kid pushes a bag out. He's like, what's this? He's like, it's your food, sir. You don't need my car. No, your food. He goes, it's in this bag? He goes, yeah. Where are my utensils? Don't have any utensils, <laughs> sir. It's, you eat it, and then you throw it away. He goes, what? And he, he, Michael Keaton had that look. He was dumbfounded. Like, and he's just watching people. Then he sits down. The family sits. He, mind if we sit here? And he's eating this burger going, why the hell has nobody else thought of this? And then he meets the brothers. And we go through this whole exposition of how they began McDonald's. That, to me, was very... That was like... I was like, wow, that's ingenious when you think about it, because McDonald's has been around for most everybody's lives, 
they were the McDonald brothers were pretty ingenious in setting up what yeah. is considered, you know, the, the the pioneer of fast food, literally. And it came on that heels. This is the other thing I didn't realize too. It came on the cusp of where the drive-in diner was, you know, it was losing its gas, all pun intended, so to speak. And this is what this was the new form of how families could eat cheaply uh, and and uh, have it so that it was efficient. Yeah. Here you go, within thirty seconds. Well, you know, um, I, it's what I loved about the McDonald's brothers was that um, they weren't they weren't dumb in business by any means. You know, I mean, because what they you know they set up and obviously it's a you know in, in some ways a creative process, but it came out from a business acumen, looking at okay, what's our big sellers? You know, um, it goes back to you know uh, there's a rule called the eighty twenty rule, that eighty percent of your profits come from twenty percent of what what you actually produce. Yeah. Um, and it, you can see it, the resemblance of that in all of nature and everywhere else. So sure. they were like, okay, well, our biggest headers are burgers and fries. So that's what we're going to do. And Coke and a you drink. Know? Yep. Um, and that's what became the focus. And, and so I loved it. So they they weren't dumb. Um, and it, it, one of the other things that I did li- like in terms of the American dream, which I do think gets lost on a lot of people in this way, is that Ray was – 52 when he started this journey yeah 52 and the reason i bring that up is um it's also you know the thing that i think will get lost ultimately in terms of what the american dream is is that uh most people think oh you know uh at 20 i gotta have i gotta have already built mcdonald's and otherwise (laughs) i'm failing the like no most directors that become good directors realistically start when they're 40 at the so, earliest, most of them, most of them, unless you're like a Kevin Smith or, you know, Steven Tangent, Spielberg, you know, but, but, uh, that's, those are rare instances. Yeah. Um, and most, you know, mo- most actual successful business people start at a later age too, because now they have a lot of failures behind them that they've learned from and are finally ready to take that and, and culminate into something that is right. successful. Right. So, um, you know, and that's that's again why I'm half torn on it because I, you know, I really also don't want that part of it to be lost. Yeah, no, and and and, I, and this is where I think John Lee Hancock does a fantastic job because we see the hard work that's involved, and number one, we are perfectly cast are the McDonald brothers. Nick Offerman plays Dick McDonald. John Carroll Lynch uh, has been a character actor for many years. Um, plays Mac McDonald. And they lent that savvy, that business savvy of, of we wanted to come up with an idea and how to get, you know, McDonald's to get burgers to families very quick, efficiently, and make it affordable. And they more or less, they, they built the hamburger assembly line. And they did it with logic. Like, there was that great scene where they were at a tennis court or something, and they were using chalk, and they had literally, they got people to come and mime out, like, how it would work. And if something wasn't working on the stopwatch, they moved things around because they know that's what they wanted. So their ingenuity, their hard work, their passion for it, and they just seem like all around nice, aw shucks kind of guys, right? And then when Ray Kroc comes into their lives... He sees this potential and, 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 and marvels at it, and he wants to grow it and help them expand it. 
and he's and he knows that he can do it. And once you see, once they make that, you know, that devil's deal, so to speak. But even at the beginning, Ray Kroc was about maintaining the integrity of the McDonald's brothers. He knew that because of their hard work and what they established, the 80-20 rule was what was important. And I just loved how, you know, he's looking for investors and he goes to the rich people, his friends, you know, at the country club, and he gets them to buy in. And all of a sudden, the standards at those McDonald's dip. They start selling other things. It's all, and it's not people with, like chicken. People like <laughs> and what are you talking about? But in those moments of the movie, you side with 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 Croc because he knew the passion that the brothers had, right? And he's like, "No, guys, you guys are screwing this up. You're going to screw this up. In turn, you're going to screw it up for me because I know these guys and I agree with what they're saying." You need to do it this way because he believed in that process. And you're like, wow, this Ray Kroc, what a good guy. He's actually protecting the McDonald's brothers' integrity. He could have let them know every now and then. But but they were getting checks, you know? I mean, they were prospering from his hard work, but his hard work was born of seeing what the McDonald's brothers put together and their high, you know... There are high standards for quality because there are also some times in the movie where you sort of kind of go, geez, if the McDonald's brothers would just lighten up a little bit, just a little bit, you know, try this out, you know. But they they too were very so stubborn in their ways that Ray Kroc, it almost gave like he took it upon himself that he was just going to do it regardless, you know, and you just wonder maybe if they gave him an inch, but you know, he gave they gave him the inch of okay, you can be our franchise guy, and he ran it like three hundred and sixty miles. So, but but you, you know what I'm saying? It's just the, that weird thing. I get you know a hundred percent, and um, you know just to take a quick step back, you know John between John Lee and uh, Robert Siegel. They, they've done quite a lot of biopics, um, whether it's been The Blind Side, Saving Mr. Banks, or this one's not necessarily uh, 100% accurate, but The Wrestler. You yeah, know, that's a culmination yeah. of you know various real people into a fictitious character. Um, so there's a, there's a good history there uh, of, of them combining these things, and I, th- I think they really did approach it from, from a good angle mm-hmm. in this way. Um, and told again I, I joke about it but it's it's the wolf of fast food because you know wolf of wall street although a biopic in itself is done to such a weird degree um i mean it's it, it's excessive down even down to the runtime <laughs> right and so uh, so this it takes a much more subdued look at it yes you know and um this is a period piece you know, I mean, this is a period piece with Rich, and again, this captures that that I'm finding the American dream and, and, and grabbing on and latching onto it. But the other thing that's very interesting, and again, does any of this sound interesting, folks? Because um, Croc, Ray Croc, was so upset with his richy rich friends for ruining this what was a good thing for ruining the quality, the service, and whatnot that. Ray Kroc took it to the streets. Like, literally. He went to the Elks Club. 
He would go to temple services. He would go to wherever it required where there were blue-collar families working, uh, you know, who wanted to work. And it's like, if you want to put in the want to put in the work, you know, you can make money. You can do this. So what do you say to that? And it was an interesting, to me, it was an interesting comment because he left all his friends at the country club and he went to the working class people, right, yeah. to get that. And the working class people, this is, again, something unbeknownst to me about McDonald's. McDonald's was built in the shoulders of the working class. They're the ones who wanted to work hard and producing quality at the time. And that, to me, is a much today a social commentary, albeit it may not have been intentional, but it fits into today mm-hmm. to our socio-economic political uh, environment. Yeah. Right? Am I wrong? Or no, I don't, like, I, don't, I don't think you're wrong. <clears throat> um, no, 100%. And that's why, you know, it's always... The history to me, you know, the the, the cliche history is doomed to repeat itself and, and whatnot. Um, it, it just works in, the, in in those sort of ways, and that's why these, even though it's a period piece, it's just at the, still at the end of the day, just so timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what I do love about them. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess in in terms of story. Um, one of the big things that I I would like to just start with the distinction between him growing the company and his <clears throat> personal life, All right? That seems to be sort of a theme. Anytime you deal with the, these types of movies, um, or even even TV shows like Mad Men, right? You always have to have okay, what's the the business side, and then okay, what's going on in their personal right. life because um, you know business affects personal. Right. How, how do you think that balance was handled? Laura Dern. Who played uh, Ethel Kroc, uh, wife to Ray? Um, I looked upon as, to me, she was a tragic figure. She was, she was a good wife, you know. Sometimes, she didn't quite get his motives. She she was a wife that said, you know, Ray, you're on the road. I'd like to see you some more. I'd like to take a vacation. I'd like to do this and that. Um. And in the end, though, she ended up supporting him when it came to this McDonald's idea of franchising. She defended him at the country club. Um, so she stood by her husband uh, as, a, as a good wife would, if there's true love there. And, you know, like the scorpion and the turtle, he being the scorpion, he just he ended up stinging her mm-hmm. and leaving her. To go on to, you know, he not only screwed her, but he also screwed another gentleman who is a big, big a restaurateur who thought that this whole fast food thing was amazing. And, you know, he ends up nabbing his wife. Um, you know, he was unscrupulous. And this, you know, gets revealed as the movie goes along, as as he's becoming in his own mind, too. You know, this was getting bigger and bigger, and he he wanted to grow it as much as possible. But with that, there were certain ch- there were changes within him <clears throat> that uh, you know. I like I said, I felt that Ethel Croc to me she was a tragic figure that got hit by his shrapnel. And oh, and it was how I don't know how you felt, you know, but. Michael Keaton didn't go for it, and the movie didn't go for it. 
going through the divorce, he was like, she doesn't get a penny of this. She will, she gets the house. She'll get the car. Oh, yeah, but what is she going to want? Nothing. She does not get one penny from McDonald's. And she supported him. <laughs> You're just like, oh, wow, this guy. He's not nice. Well, even <laughs> more so. Nice he, guy. He, he, you know, she supported all his other dumb ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's one. Of, it becomes very difficult to support someone if everything that they've done is like, you know, and you're left wondering, it, it, like, stop, just be happy with what you got because everything else has already failed, and you yeah. found <clears throat> you're finally finding a living. So just go with that. Yeah, we have and, a roof over our heads. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um. So that 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 you're right. That was a very powerful scene. Um. I did like the reveal of, um. You know, uh, Linda Carlini, the the new wife, towards the end, because you, we got those subtle hints throughout, but right. but they never acted upon them. And then just seeing her sort of put her hand on his shoulder, it was perfect. Because you're like, yeah, yeah okay, yep, that's what's going on. <laughs> yep, Joan. It Smith. was there the whole time. Yep, it was there uh, from the moment he saw her playing the piano and then introduced. This this was, I believe, uh, is this in Wisconsin or in Chicago? And Patrick Wilson, it was in Illinois. Yes, I'm pretty sure. And Patrick Wilson, who played Raleigh Smith, who was a big steakhouse restaurant tour, loved the idea, and he wanted to get into this franchise business. And and he and the and he and his wife, played by Linda Cardellini, who is to me Minnesota. They were in Minnesota. Sorry, she was fantastic. By the way, I didn't realize it was her until I saw the credits. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my god! (laughs) There you go. She she was great. I just found, you know, when they're, they were working together and we have this overhead and then they came up with the idea. They found the idea of how to do milkshakes with a, with a powder instead of actual ice cream and that cuts out freezer costs. And you sort of saw what was going to happen um, in that. And, yeah, it was like, again, he was just ruthless what he wanted, he would go out and get, and he didn't. He didn't care who got who got damaged. He didn't care who was left in the wake. Well, uh, one of the things that I've been also questioning about um, was the fact of did he know the original deal that he signed with the brothers, right? Uh, because it's very presenting. He's like, okay, this looks okay. This looks okay. And um, you know what? What? I deduce it too is the fact that he didn't. Care. He just wanted a deal, he, and okay. then the rest would. He didn't care. He the didn't. rest would figure itself out, which obviously that's the way it went, because um, he threw out the whole deal eventually and was like, okay. And um, I, I PJ Novak's character, <laughs> I loved him for his brilliance. He's like, listen, you've got a great thing, but you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, you're making one percent off of fifteen cent hamburgers. That's nothing. What you got to be doing is real estate. You got to be the you got to be the real estate guy, and that's another thing I did not know either. Was how McDonald's was so, you know, I get why a McDonald's would be at a certain place, but I didn't realize that Ray Kroc also owned the land in which that McDonald's was going to be built on, and that was his loophole to get away from the brothers. Yeah. Because they don't get a dime of they don't get a dime of the real estate deal. All they're getting is the 
the franchise and whatever. And that was the other thing, too, that I didn't think that the movie was too, too clear about. The brothers basically got to kick back in San Bernardino, run their, their one shop, and they would continually get checks in because mm-hmm. he was growing this thing at, a, at, a, at an amazing pace. Um, but they don't, like, the brothers profited to a margin, I guess, but ultimately they still ended up getting screwed. You know, and part of that might have been because of their the lack of unwavering. Unwavering. Yeah. Well, um, one I don't know if you read this too deep into it. Um, one of the interesting things, so not only the land thing um, in terms of franchises, but at the time, franchise the way franchises worked were only in sections, right? Not single location franchises, um, and it was yeah, people sort of. They, they attribute the fact that quality control um, with that. Because if you're, if you, let's say you want a McDonald's mm-hmm. and you want a whole, um, whatever, let's say the Los Angeles County. Right. Well, you don't get Los Angeles County until you can prove that you're good. And so that was his means of controlling. Like, okay, yeah, if your location is really good and your quality is up to our standards, okay, we'll let you open up a second, third, fourth location. Right. Um, to further your reach in the Los Angeles County, but you don't get all of Los Angeles right. County off the bat, which right. was typical then for franchises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, another sort of business interesting development. Yeah, and and, and again, there was so much that I, I didn't know because why would I? Like, why yeah. would you know? Unless you're a businessman, who's you know really? I mean, McDonald's is an American success story. It, it truly is. It didn't stem from overseas. This is something that is pure Americana. That's why I guess I liken it, because everybody knows the Golden Arches. Um, you know, growing up, I knew to all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. That was the Big Mac. Okay? To your point, Burger King, it takes two hands to handle a Whopper. Mm-hmm. You know, or have it your way was Burger King. Okay? That type of fast food. And those are like really the only two burger places that I knew growing up in Boston. Uh, Occasionally, I might go, what the hell is this Wendy's? (laughs) But it was Burger King, McDonald's. Burger King, McDonald's. I know that there were other things out here in, in Southern California. But, you know, how it all came about is fascinating to me because I, you know, I really didn't know. And they made this. What could have been a boring business movie, but I just found it very interesting as to its rise, why it happened. And yes, you can credit Ray Kroc for all you want, but man, he damaged a lot of people. And I couldn't help but feel sympathetic towards towards the, the original McDonald's brothers, who not until is actually they were not credited at all. For many, many, many a year, for having any hand at at McDonald's, that to me was uh, it, it, you just felt bad. You, you like where they had to give away their name, like that scene in the bathroom. Well, that that was a that was a sort of you know that was a great twist because again you would think like okay, the 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 ingenuity is the system. Right. The system's great, but as he said, like the goal, the secret was the name. <laughs> yep. 
And I think in some sense he was poking, you know, I, I think it was a fun commentary by the writers of, like, against Burger King. He's like, you know, everyone's got burger in the name. Yeah. But this is different. McDonald's. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, they're not going to buy a crock. Yeah. They're not going to buy a crock. That's a crocker. That's yeah, a load of crock. McDon- yeah. But McDonald's. He's like, I wanted it for the name. And they're like, you don't have our name. And then he's like, don't I? <laughs> and you just go... And he took that too. <laughs> you, yeah. It's like, son of a bitch. And it was, I love, that was such a well-written, well-acted scene when he goes, you know, I, the, McDonald's is a guy you don't fuck with. It's yes. a guy that can't get screwed. <laughs> and he's just looking at him like, yeah. you for real. Because <laughs> this is the narrative that he's invented in his own mind. Right. Regardless of, obviously, what it's done to the actual McDonald's. Yep. But, you know, to that same token, I mean, apart from the actual uh, perpetuity deal, um, you know, they ultimate, you know, if, if they had stuck, if the original McDonald's brothers had stuck um, to their original notion of, of slowly franchising, if at all franchising, would they have ever made that $1 million? Which, you know, in today's day and age, $1 million isn't necessarily all that much. In the 50s. Yeah. It's huge. But... The other thing, and again, this is one thing that the movie didn't showcase, is like, yes, Croc buys them out for a million three uh, each. So I think it was like three, they, they split three million plus. Uh, 2.7 million is the official price. They okay. left with one million after tax. And, but they're yet, they were still collecting checks from each of the franchises that were born out of Ray Croc's scheme, which they didn't show now i'm not entirely sure i don't believe they died destitute but they lost their business they lost their store they lost what's probably the most important they lost their name and they fell into an obscurity they couldn't even say we started mcdonald's we started mcdonald's they couldn't even say that so they however much money they may have made they could have been set for life in that time period. They lost so much more because, you know, you don't want to lose your name, you know. So, uh, and what else are they going to do? And they tried. That's the other thing. They, too, were sort of kind of failed businessmen, mm-hmm. in a sense. They were trying to come up with that idea. And, uh, yeah, I just I love that dichotomy between the McDonald's brothers and Ray Kroc. Do you have to be an asshole in order to succeed in business. Because these guys were happy with the business that they had. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I guess that, um, you know, one of the one of the great successes of this movie is the what-if factor, right? You're always mm-hmm. left, well, what if? And therefore, it becomes a self-examination upon right. yourself. Um, in terms of real life, uh, you had mentioned early on in and out And that is, I don't know their full story, but um, for those unfamiliar, in and out is a burger joint not unlike McDonald's, however, um, instead their whole they they franchised, but they franchised very low, you know, in California, local to California, um, in order to ensure their quality, and so much so that you know they treat their employees extremely well, sure, um, and whatnot. And uh, I guess in some sense you could say like they've created a hybrid of what you know Ray Kroc and. And, uh, I would say and the they brothers created. I, I say they created a hybrid, or they created what the McDonald's brothers originally created, 
back in San Bernardino. Because when you think about uh, In-N-Out Burger today, right? When you think about McDonald's and In-N-Out Burger, McDonald's has branched out. You can get them a hundred and twenty different countries, right? But I'm just talking about their menu. Let's yeah. talk about their menu. You're not just getting a hamburger, cheeseburger, quarter pounder, quarter pounder with cheese. We're talking the breakfasts. We're talking the McChicken. We're talking the fish, the fillet of fish. We're talking the salads, as you mentioned. The yogurts, <clears throat> the the parfaits, the apple pies, which they'd already, which you know, I remember them having. In and Out Burger for those uh, who aren't within Southern California and such, all they do is burgers. They have a hamburger, they have a cheeseburger, they have the double double. You know, they have the secret menu. But the secret menu doesn't change how many patties you get. It just changes the condiments put onto that burger. It's not. There's no McChicken. There's no fish sandwich. There's French fries. There's soft drinks and there's shakes. And I think uh, lemonade. Uh, they got soft drinks. They have yeah. soft drinks. That's all that In and Out does. And I was thinking about this because that's all the San Bernardino McDonald's did was sell hamburger. A cheeseburger, fries, and a Coke. That's it. So it just makes me wonder, without knowing the business world too much, particularly fast food and, you know, the business world as a whole, um, did, you know, you have to figure that in the restaurant business, the story of McDonald's gets around, that this Ray Kroc is an asshole. And does... Does In and Out Burger say we can't let what happened to McDonald's happen to us? Mm-hmm. We've got to keep it more in control. We're not going to franchise out to the world. We're not going to let anybody take 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 control from us ever. Because this is what we do. This is what we do good. Like there's no In and Out Burger in Massachusetts. There's no In and Out Burger in Boston. In Nevada. Or, or in Nevada, yeah. Uh, but there's nothing in Chicago. No. There's no In and Out Burger in Tennessee. Or Orlando, Florida, New York City. No, not at all. It's always rumored that they might go out into the East Coast. But like the McDonald's brothers, if that is going to be true, they're very slow in getting that done. So it just makes me wonder, did they take a page from the original? Did they learn from the McDonald's brothers' mistake? Potentially. I, You know, I mean, it it certainly indicates that. Yeah, perhaps they did. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, what? I guess uh, you know we've talked a lot about Michael Keaton um, to a degree. We've talked about Nick Offerman and uh, John Lynch. But in terms of the um, other characters, who did who who was sort of a standout performance for you? Um, and I mentioned P.J. Novak for me, or <clears throat> B.J. Novak, um, just because of he, he was so. He almost was more villainous than Ray Kroc himself. He was the guy, he just planted the seed. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to plant the seed. I'm going to let you do that. I'll do the, I'll do the lawyer stuff. Uh, for me, uh, I'm a big Patrick Wilson fan. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like Patrick Wilson. But the other person, we talked about Linda, um, we, we, we talk about Laura Dern, who is really, I thought, very well done. Uh, but Linda Cardellini. She she number one she had the looks. Mm-hmm. She's a very attractive. She's a very attractive woman. Uh, she gave that character a smarts. Like she too had that 
Ray Kroc drive. Like, and and it just seemed that Ray Kroc added fuel to that fire. Like, in a sense, Ray Kroc ended up becoming her muse. Mm-hmm. And you could see why she ended up falling in love with him. It just makes you wonder. Patrick Wilson was also a successful restaurateur as a steakhouse. You know? Um, but I really enjoyed watching uh, Linda Cardellini's performance. Uh, but Nick Offerman and Jack Carroll, the McDonald brothers, they were great. And you can tell what, what I loved about that pairing is I believe that they were brothers, that yeah. they really supported one another in their dreams. And Nick Offerman's character, he didn't want to necessarily franchise. He didn't want to get into business with Ray Kroc. You know, and his brother's like, what's the worst that could happen? He goes, this is your dream, you know, and we learned from backstory that because of the movie theater uh, thing didn't work out that um, uh, that that McDonald brother suffered. He had diabetes, I believe it was. and, And he got sick from it. And he's like, look. He was the one. He sacrificed himself to an extent. He said, look, this has been your dream to grow this business. Where else are we going to have this opportunity? Let him do what he's going to do. How bad can it be? How many times did they say, how bad can it be? And for them, unfortunately, it got extremely bad and sad. No. But they played it. They earned the sympathy. They didn't overplay their parts. No, no, not at all. Um the other, yeah, uh, Fred Turner, they didn't get into him as much, but um, he's also sort of represented an interesting side to the American dream because, like you said, like with um, Joan, Fred Turner was inspired by Ray Kroc. And, you know, I mean, at the time he was just, <laughs> he was just doing hamburgers or whatever he yeah. was. Um, and, you know, they have that great post-credit or, you know, as part of that, the, the crawl of where everybody's at. And they talk about Fred Turner rose to be what he was. Um, and I would, I would have, again, I, in this movie, it wouldn't have fit, but I, I was also interested in kind of just a couple more things from him. Yeah. It, but it, again, it was funny because he was just a kid flipping burgers. Yeah. Well, that's and the again, American dream. It's, it was a great scene because Ray Kroc, again, at the beginning of the movie, quality, much like he was sticking, he was standing tall to the McDonald's brothers want of quality control and wanting whether it's how a french fry is cooked how a burger is cooked and he's walking around no that's not how you do a burger this is how you do it and he would roll up his sleeves and then he goes it's a good burger kid what's your name and he goes fred turner and you see you see him walk away he goes fred turner fred turner all right i like that name (laughs) and next thing you know he's like a second hand man you know he takes him along with um I really, uh, I, I, again, that that was, everybody, you know, and that's the, that's the other thing, too. It was almost like a, it was like a picking and choosing. The wife supported him, but she didn't get to go along with that, for that ride. Why? Because his secretary, who supported him, she ends up having great steak in McDonald's, mm-hmm. you know? Um, uh, Linda Cardellini's character. They weren't married. There was, you know, a love affair developed. But why her over Laura Dern's, like, over, over, over the wife? It wasn't like the wife didn't support him. Did Here's the thing. It's not, it's not, I, I think it's support wasn't enough. You wanted, okay. He, he like, well, Fred, he was working for the business. Uh, the secretary was, 
you know, I mean, she was, it, she she was portrayed as a good secretary, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, Joan, she, I mean, that was a great scene where where uh, um, Laura Dern, yeah. J- j- uh, yeah, she's just in bed, and meanwhile he's on the phone in the basement talking to uh, Joan about all right. the various things, and he's just so excited, right? Um, you know, so it was just something that he wasn't having with with um, Ethel, right? And you know, it's just again, it goes back to that line: like, when's enough enough? It's not. So her support was not enough. Was not enough. Sure, needed more. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, so I, I just found that it was uh, very interesting. One other thing of note about this movie, because it is a, a biopic, we've talked a lot about movies based or inspired by true events, based on true events, based on a true story, whatever the. However, else they're gonna uh, I'll, say, I'll, say, I'll just throw out a year ago, probably we're doing Eddie the Eagle, uh-huh. the most untrue biopic <laughs> imaginable. And I was quite upset by that. So, so go where you're going. I'm going with this because just a few weeks ago, we talked about Patriot's Day mm-hmm. and how it, it, it upset some of us. It upset me. Mark Wahlberg character never existed in this, in that world, in that, in that true event. This movie, upon my research, this is and this is great, folks, and and another reason for seeing this movie. Ninety five percent of this movie, it happened the way it plays out in this movie. There were embellishments here or there, but they never created fictitious characters. They didn't. They didn't have to change things like so much. Um, maybe a character didn't say something the way that it may have been said back then, but that's about it. That's about it. You know, I have a... I, I brought up a fact versus fiction. Because whenever I do these movies, I love I love doing that. To see, oh, how did it really play out? And, you know, did McDonald's really start off as a drive-in barbecue restaurant? Yep. Uh, did Ray Kroc become involved with McDonald's when he was a milkshake machine salesman? Yep. All of this is true. Uh, what attracted Ray Kroc to McDonald's upon his first visit? Like, everything that happens in the movie, for the most part, or everything that happened, I should say, in real life, mm-hmm. translated up to the big screen. So for me, then it's up to the director to take you on this journey, to not make it boring, to give you something to think about, and then it's upon your actors. Yeah. you know. And they all did a great job. And they made this business story a fascinating tale that comes in at about two hours. Perfectly paced, I felt, this movie. It never overstayed its welcome. No, not at all. Right? Not at all. <clears throat> um, and I think, you know, um, the, the one of the more interesting parts of it to me is the fact that uh, they were even able to tell the story. Like, if you're right. McDonald's, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I don't think I've seen an official statement about their views of this. No. Um, but... You know, I, I'd be interested to know what their ta- uh, what their official policy on this movie is. That's a great question. And what could they say though? It's it's not as if this movie was a brazen. This movie did it, this movie just stated in a sense it just stated a fact, and it had actors portraying people, real life people, but it didn't go out and say McDonald's is bad, Ray Kroc is bad. I think. One of the gems about this movie is that it leaves it to the audience to decide. Much like you were saying at the beginning of the show, you can be torn. And Michael Keaton went as far as saying, I don't want this guy. You 
This guy is who he is. Don't sugarcoat it. And don't play it another way. You got to play it as it is. That, to me, is the brilliance of this movie. And you leave it up to the audience to decide. Is he a jerk? Or or, or is he um, Michael Douglas's character in Wall Street? Like, can you hate him? You don't hate him at the beginning of the movie. In fact, I'll go as far as saying I was rooting for him at the beginning of the movie. I wanted this. I was like, this is how McDonald's started? This is fascinating. This is how McDonald's started? Oh, Oh, okay. This guy's not a nice guy. But that's the way it is. McDonald's hasn't changed. The movie didn't lie about it. It didn't disparage anybody. No. Like, nobody can say, oh, you made this person look great when he was a jerk. No, I, I'm pretty sure they showed Ray Kroc as being a jerk. Yeah, and, and again, <clears throat> you know, one of the things, if, if you look at it, uh, if I was McDonald's, one of the things I would hang, you know, put to, like, look at, he went after owners that would they wanted the quality they cared about the restaurants and that still holds true today. Mm-hmm. So right. you know, all it's yeah, it's an, it's an interesting life. But I, I would be very curious, and I I hope they so, eventually, if this as this movie grows in popularity, just give us something. Yeah, and, but the other thing that, and again, now that I think about it, I like the one thing about McDonald's that they're known for. Okay. So whether you're eating in a McDonald's here in California or in Massachusetts or in China or in Greece, wherever you are and there's a McDonald's, if you go into that restaurant and you order a Big Mac, that Big Mac is going to taste the same in Greece as it is in Culver City, California. It, there, <laughs> you're not going to – you might get some different I- menu items, no. but the food is going to taste – they're not changing it because of the territory. They're not selling fried chicken or barbecue spurs. Oh, I'm sorry, but they are. They sell the McRib mm. <laughs> and they sell the McChicken. But you know what I mean. The McChicken mm. here, if they sell it in Japan, it's going to taste like a McChicken. Well, I also say this. You know, on behalf of Ray Kroc, he did make it very. Um, he, he made it a rule to all the franchisees: if someone was unsatisfied with the quality, right, they got it for free. Yeah, and that was something that he stood by. Yep. Um, so he was, you know, he was adamant about that. To, uh, so nothing's to be taken away. Yeah. Um, I think we've, no. unless uh, unless you disagree, um, I think we've talked enough about story per se. We'll, we'll move into. A little but, bit of production, maybe, yeah. or uh, it, now here's something that I found to be very fascinating too. This sh- this this shot was um, filmed 34 days. That's, that's 34 fast. Thirty-four days. That is fast, ain't it? Given the number of locations, yes, because yeah. they are not just at the same location. Yeah, um, you know, and and um, John Lee Hank says, "Hey, uh, you know, it's really helpful. You have actors that are pros." Uh, they're really on it. Um, same with actors. It's great about, I have a great DP, great production designer. It's all about the crew. It's all about the collaborative effort in getting this movie done. Um, but 34 days for this movie, I was like, damn, that's that's it's not an awful lot of time. And he says there was very little fat in this movie that, that he trimmed. In fact, he pretty much, what's in the movie... Is pretty much what he shot. He didn't take or embellish scenes, or there wasn't a an alternate take 
Um, and again, which I think stands to, to, to it's the it's the movie's Kevlar where McDonald's can't say, well, you changed this fact. Like they can't say, oh, well, no, that's pretty much how it happened. We can't, no. you know, we can't argue that. Yeah, no, I, I give them, I applaud them. I mean, just just even think about, mm. you know, a quick scene, right? They had so many different locations, but the scene where they're explaining how they came up with the speedy system. Right. That, I mean, you have to reset every time they reset, right? And so shooting, and then, so shooting-wise, you have to keep redoing that and, and whatever, and it ends up being all of 30 seconds on, on the screen. And it's a great scene, though, too. Yeah. So to, to get all that, you know, I mean, we talked about it. he's a traveling salesman. Well, traveling means different locations. Right. Um, now, granted, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, you can go. The nice part about filmmaking is, okay, you could just literally turn around the camera and it make it seem like it's a new location. Right. But you still have to move there, light it, sure, um, dress it, so forth. Yeah, and that scene too that you were talking about with the chalk and the tennis court or whatever. Um, that scene, it had such kineticism to it right because it's the brothers explaining to ray Kroc, like this is how we did it and it's really funny too because ray Kroc sits down with him the first time and he's like they go do you want to take a tour and he's like yeah sure i'll take a tour and then later on he's like when he's talking about franchise and he's and and he goes i noticed you guys he goes one of the McDonald's, or he says something to the effect of, I know you're not afraid of me stealing your idea because it's obvious. I'm not the first person you brought into your store and showed them how everything works. He goes, I'm not interested in that idea. That's a great idea, you know, but it, it was very, it was an interesting observation mm-hmm. that they, yeah, that, that he said, yeah, I'm not, because you're probably worried that I'm going to steal your idea away. He goes, that doesn't do me any good. I could steal your idea. I could put it over here. It's not going to work. You know, um, I found that to be a, a great, um, a great observation. Also, as well, uh, we talked about that scene. But one of the other scenes that he needed more time to shoot, believe it or not, was that scene in the bathroom mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. And he literally gave himself. Uh, he said a half a day. Um, to shoot at least a half a day in the bathroom scene between Nick and Michael. And he's like, it was Nick's, believe it or not, very first scene in the movie. <laughs> what a great <laughs> that's introduction. Nick Offerman's first scene in the movie. And that's really like dropping someone under the grease, as John Lee Hancock says. He goes, you got a four-page scene in a bathroom, which means you have to do a carefully choreographed dance. Uh, John Schwartzman, Michael Corman, and I devised a plan to put mirrors those are our mirrors up in the bathroom so that every time you looked, you didn't just see two people. You saw three, sometimes four people. Um, and I wanted it to be the James Jesus Angleton thing, a wilderness of mirrors that Dick McDonald had entered, a wilderness of mirrors that is Ray Kroc's lair. And it just makes for some really interesting coverage. Sometimes you go, am I looking at him or his reflection? Uh, and it is a pinnacle scene of the movie. It is. And it just takes place in a bathroom. You know? I, I really appreciate the work that they put into that as well as everything, you know, as, as well as the 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 um 
Well, think about it. it it's sport. great because it's uh, you know it's it's almost like where the the evil villain reveals how he did it, <laughs> right? You yeah, know exactly, and why he did it. So yeah, and then he's just uh, but unlike most movies, the villain gets to walk away, yeah. and the the hero's like, oh, I was an idiot. Yeah, I was an idiot. Yeah, um, <laughs> so absolutely, a hundred percent, and it, and it's just one of the you know because, and it, it one of the reasons why I I don't know if. I'm, I'm sure maybe that was probably like one of the scenes that they stretched a little bit, but it, it's one of those things. Where else would they ever have run into each other? Mm-hmm. But the bathroom, right? You know, because it's such a uh, it, it's such a natural thing. Like you, you got to pee. There's no <laughs> one way, you know. Like that's what? it. So no way. I'm sure they didn't ever want to run into each other, but they're here. And again, it it. It can't that scene couldn't have taken place in a car? No, I don't, they never would have gotten in a car. Nope. Together, and I don't believe it would have been as effective had it been in a boardroom, so to speak. No, you can't do You're it on the phone. It's nope. the perfect place. Perfect. Yeah, they, they they did a perfect location, and adding the mirrors, I think, is a again, it's a great touch. It's a really scene that punctuates Ray Kroc's obsessiveness. And ruthlessness at the same time. It's just, and you're just even left going, oh, yeah, it just, you couldn't help but feel bad for those McDonald brothers. Indeed. Um, let's see. Um, you know, another, uh, by the way, just in general, uh, Harvey Weinstein, or the Weinstein Company distributed it. Um, so another great movie on there, slate of <laughs> already <laughs> lots of great movies. Um, but I want to talk about you know I don't know when we talk about reception release and and whatnot. I you know it's it's very interesting to me because here is a movie that is very solidly done. Okay, we have a good screenplay. We have an incredibly amazing performance by Michael Keaton and his supporting cast. Um, the movie, and I had to find this. I found this by. Mere accident, okay? You might be wondering, well, how come I'm not hearing anything about Academy Awards and whatever? And every place that I was looking for release date <clears throat> on this movie, everywhere, January 20th of 2017. January 20th. So it wouldn't qualify, right? But believe it or not, I found an article from Deadline. And Weinstein Company is premiering the founder on December 7th at the Arclight Hollywood for a one-week awards qualifying run before its national release of January 20th. Boy, howdy, did they hide the fact. I mean, I don't know. I, they hid the fact. Well, it sounds like say- they hid it from the Academy. I'm just saying... Are you saying they be- hid it because it got snubbed, or are you saying they, they hid it and therefore they got snubbed? I think... This is my personal theory, okay? And this is just mine and mine alone. I don't have any facts to back this up. It's just whatever knowledge I have of show business, I just don't think that the Weinsteins had the money to back up an Oscar campaign and maybe seeing what competition there is out there, thinking that, Michael Keaton, we could push him, we'll throw a lot of money, but it's probably not going to go that way. And we may not have the money to back 
an Academy Award campaign, which is fine. I get it. But then it comes to, then why take the measures to get the movie released in December for, albeit a week, in one theater, one week, one theater, just release the movie in April and or May of this year. Take it out of the Academy Award fray completely, <clears throat> release it in 2017, in the first, second quarter, maybe build the momentum and such, because when you're up against heavy hitters like La La Land, um, like a Fences or a Moonlight or an Arrival, the movie sort of kind of can get, well, it's buried. Which is, by the way, I think that's a good problem for movie audiences. When Being me, that, how me, so? Well, in the sense that uh, when a movie like The Founder is getting lost in the sea of other great movies... That's a lot of great movies, too. I, I get what you're saying. I, I, that's a good that, point. I'm just saying that as a sentiment. Yes. And, and, and that's a very valid point. But at the same time, like, I would recommend, like, I recommend it to everybody. And I tell, I've been singing this movie's praises. The Founder is a really good movie. You should see it. Because everybody has had in their lifetime, like, you're not born a vegetarian, or maybe you are, I don't know, but most everybody has had a McDonald's hamburger one time of their life or other, whether it's a hamburger or a cheeseburger, quarter pound, whatever. Everybody knows McDonald's, but does everybody really know McDonald's? Can people say, eh, I could care less? Yeah, but I think you're doing yourself a disservice because this is what makes for a great movie. It was entertaining. I wasn't bored. I came away, I learned something, and I really got to see some meaty performances. And at the same time, I learned about something that, that's truly American. And how this was built. Maybe McDonald's, like, they don't need this movie to be, you know, a hit. McDonald's doesn't need this movie to be a hit. No. It's not, I didn't find, that's the other problem, like, going into it. This movie could have been a two-hour commercial for McDonald's. In a way, it sort of was. There was that time when they're cooking burgers at the beginning of the movie. I felt like, God, I could go for a cheeseburger right now. But I'll tell you this, after the movie, I did go to, my, to a McDonald's. The burger didn't taste as good after the, after watching the movie. Hmm. But it wasn't a two-hour commercial for McDonald's. It wasn't selling me burgers and fries. It sold me on a good story about the birth of something that became very successful in America. <clears throat> they did a great job. Absolutely. So. I agree. Um, you know, we, we, you talked about cinematography. I did want to point out John Schwartzman. Uh, only because he has such a he, he's worked with um, with um, Hancock before, whether it was saving Mr. Banks um, and whatnot. But uh, interesting, very interesting resume. Mm -hmm. um, even dating back to things like The Rock, um, he's done The Rookie, Meet the Fockers, so um, Amazing Spider-Man, mm -hmm. Jurassic World, and he's doing it. He's doing a Star Wars episode. As well as um, you know, two two of the movies for um, Fifty Shades, right? Coming up, so and just a very fascinating plethora of comedy, then then some action, sci-fi, adventure, then uh, you know, superhero movies. Uh, Fifty Shades, I guess you could call erotica. You know, so I, I'm just always in, I'm always intrigued by artists who can just rock various genres and do a really good job with it. Right. 
Because all those movies have great cinematography. Absolutely. And so <clears throat> does this one. Yeah, and um, there was another period piece, one that I also praise, Hidden Figures, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, one of the reasons of, of that movie, of its deserving praise, is its cinematography and it capturing the period. Hidden Figures is a period piece about a part of history. Again, part of history that was really unknown. This movie captured an era, but it didn't lampoon it. It didn't. It really did. Like if you're watching this movie, you can see the death knell for the drive-in diner. You know, you can see what McDonald's is going to do, and it was just fascinating to me of capturing that time period, and it did it really well. You know, the beautiful color, the cars, uh, the costumes, the set designs, the colors. Um, one of the first times we see. The McDonald's big golden arch in neon was so vibrant. You just like, it's such a recognizable icon that. And when they talk about the golden arches, well, that there's a church. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, there's a church and a flag. Church and a flag. Wow, well, we're gonna go right in the middle. We're yep. gonna marry the two. Yep. Because um, unlike church, <laughs> we're open seven days a week. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a great line. Yep. Uh, so it did. You know, it did kind of inspire <clears throat> you in that in that weird sort of way in that moment, and you started again. You 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 started believing in it, and you were like, "Oh, this isn't that bad." Right. How does this become again? What potentially is like associated with like world health hazards? Right. Um, it's a very interesting story. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. So. Let's talk box office. Um, sure. Well, it went up against some heavy, heavy hitters. Yes, Split. it did. Triple um, X. You know, I don't care what people say. Like, I know it's not the world's greatest movie, but it's Vin Diesel, and people want to see that. Yep. Um, and then 20th Century Women, as well as a couple others, which... Eh. But uh, Split, really... Split was the movie that... that, that, that took everybody by surprise that's 40 million dollars i believe triple x uh the 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 sequel did around 20 that one was expected to do a little bit more um again i'm going to say this the founder was buried Uh, you know it it was i only saw the trailer at limited places i usually saw it on art film types I went to the landmark uh, or something like that. I didn't see that, like, you know, you couldn't get this trailer up on a bunch of, of films. Uh, I didn't see posters. Uh, I knew of it. I may have seen the trailer for the first time online, or I could have seen it with something uh, up at a landmark theater. Um, the movie comes out uh, and does, uh, let's see, it's opening weekend, $3.4 million, but... Let's take this into a little bit of consideration. It only opened up on 1,100 plus locations throughout the country. 1,100. That today is a considered sort of kind of wide for an independent company. You know, it used that number used to be like 500. 500 was like a big. That was a big number if, if a small company was going to go out. Now it's about a thousand. So it came in at number 11. Um. But it it's to gross to date, uh, as of 
January 26th is 4.8 million. Not a lot of money. Now, one thing I could not find on this movie at all was I don't know how much it cost. But if it only took 34 days to film, well, I, the, I the figure I have <clears throat> is a production budget of around seven million. Okay. So right. production, right? Yeah. So that doesn't include you know advertisements, which <laughs> apparently there weren't a lot of. But there couldn't have been. I mean, did you see a lot of advertisement for this movie? No, not at all. I just I just knew. Um, very few people that did see it pro- in the December area, um, and so and they they said this is a great movie, and I'm just very intrigued, sort of by business movies in general. Yeah. And so I was looking forward to this one. I mean, in some sense, you wonder should they have made a deal with McDonald's and like every Happy Meal comes with, hey, get your Ray Kroc doll. <laughs> get your Ray Kroc. Um, I don't know, but here's something interesting. This was this was released overseas. Yeah. Yeah, doing pretty it's done well. Five million overseas. That's yeah. terrible. <laughs> That's not terrible. I mean, thus far, it's it's grossed worldwide <clears throat> almost ten million dollars. Um, to me, it's 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 too bad because I think from a distribution standpoint, I don't know. I don't think they handled this one great, and. Most certainly, we we can rave about Michael Keaton's performance, but like you said, it's a good problem to have when you have so many other great movies out there. But they well, didn't I mean, is it a political thing? Because there's a lot of reviews online, um, you know, that mean like, oh, the, the first movie of the year in a Trump era, and how and, and how fascinatingly similar it is, and whatnot. And it's like, so just from the political standpoint, did they try to avoid it? And we're just happy, like, okay, it's a great movie. We'll let it out there, but at the same time, it'll be tough to promote. So let's just let's just not put in the effort and move on. Well, it's interesting um, because when John Lee Hancock, he's been asked this question a lot, and he said, you know. When I first read the script for this movie and putting it together, this this Donald Trump guy, he was still a businessman. <laughs> he wasn't running for anything. Like, he wasn't the president of the United States. This is a completely different landscape. This sort of kind of falls into it. If I was the Weinstein companies, I would be completely blaming the political landscape for, lack of better words, for the movie not playing as well. At least you have something to point a finger at. But I don't think it's necessarily valid. I honestly believe that they just may not have had the money to put behind this movie for the Academy run. And when you think about it, you have to stump your actor. You have to pet. You have to pick and choose who you're going to support. In this case, it would be Michael Keaton. Um, you got to get him to places. He's got to do Q and A's. You got to do all this stuff. You got to do screeners. You got to do screenings all over the place. Yeah. It costs a lot of money for a studio to put together a campaign. And in many times, only one movie at the end of the day can be become best picture. Okay. I just don't think well, let's, that let's, they went about this the right way. Let's look at what they got. <clears throat> and this is, let's look at 2016. Jane got a gun. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, the follow-up, Sing Street, Hands of Stone, and Lion. Um, now, already in 2017, they've got The Founder, 
And what comes out this weekend but gold with mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey. So, you know. But, and that's the interesting thing, though. You said that this movie came out in 2017. And that's what everybody's leading you to believe. But technically, they had that one-week run in 2016. Because I thought, when I was at home in Boston, I thought that the movie had been released already. Because I had heard that they were going to try to open it up. I didn't know it was so limited. So when I came back to Los Angeles, I was like, I thought the movie might have been at the Landmark Theater. I really wanted to see it, but it wasn't. I had to wait until the 20th. Um, It just seemed that there was confusion about how to release this movie, and they didn't quite get the right handle of it. And if you're not going to push an Academy, if you're not going to push it for awards one, why even bother doing the week run? And why put it in January 20th, knowing... I mean, because you know, you know going into December, like even before the Golden Globes, you know what everybody's talking about movie-wise, Academy Award-wise. Why would you keep it so... I would stay away from the Academy Awards. I would have, like, done this April, March, maybe May. Hmm. Like, keep it away from that fray. Because... I don't have the money to get the word out that this movie is here and that Michael Keaton is fantastic. Let the Academy Awards movie build upon whatever success or not success they're going to have, but just stay away from it completely. That would have been me. But it is it is sad. Um, I think it's a really great movie that um, I hope in time gets the respect that it deserves. But I'm worried. I'm worried. Yeah. So it's a very good movie that I don't know if a lot of people will see. No, I and and you know, I, I think if and, and for the audience that, that that I'm hoping is is with us right now, I'm hoping that they liked it as much as we did. You know, the only thing you can do is be able to talk about it. Um to to your friends, to family, to whoever asks you about, hey, have you seen any have you seen any good movies lately? Yeah, I saw this movie called The Founder, it was about the creation of McDonald's. Really? It was a good movie? Yeah. Michael Keaton's fantastic. However, I was having another conversation with with another friend of mine about the founder because he asked me. I told him what I was podcasting today. He goes, oh, what did you think about the founder? I said, I loved it. He goes, really? He goes, I was up in Sundance talking to some people, and there were people who didn't like it. And I was like, really? Like, I don't understand why they wouldn't like the movie. I just I, It's don't. preconceived notions <clears throat> of what McDonald's is and... You know what I mean? But your political, like what you said politically, maybe maybe they think that it's too close. I don't know. I don't understand why you wouldn't like like this movie. I don't think that it was, it didn't necessarily ding America as a society. It doesn't no. put a ding to fast food. It doesn't have that type of a political agenda. And it really does leave it up to the audience. Who are you going to side with? Do you feel bad for, you know, you have to feel bad for the McDonald's brothers. Is Ray Kroc, you know, an, an an angel or a demon is what it comes down to. And I don't know. I think it's worth viewing. And, and, and like I said, I think Keaton's performance is so magnetic. And uh, I think it was everybody as good as Birdman. Absolutely. That's me. Well, um, I think that about covers most of it. I'm sure there's many other details as well. But um, but nonetheless, there they are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, in the meantime, um, you can follow Dimitri and support him uh, at DMovies1701. We've got a lot of great stuff coming down the pipeline, not just for anatomy, but you'll see more work of Dimitri. I hope so. so. Oh, I do want to – we didn't mention one thing. We didn't talk about – it was an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie. Okay? Mm-hmm. 82. So critics are liking it. That's definitely a fresh. I mean, yeah. there, are, there are movies that can be in the 90s, but 82% is a solid – that's a solidly That's reviewed good. movie. Um, we just did another movie that got 75%, uh, which we questioned the validity of that. But that movie made $40 million. Obviously, it went on double, almost triple the amount of screens. It actually was triple the amount of screens. But 82%. Critics, are in, critics for the most part, are liking this movie. Yeah, so. Absolutely. <clears throat> Uh, thank you very much of course um, so there you have it uh, let us know your thoughts I'm very curious uh, just if nothing else a basic basic response um, did this change your mind about McDonald's or Ray Kroc and who do you side with are you with Ray Kroc or are you with um, with the McDonald's brothers and have you had the Grand Mac yet I have <laughs> and it's uh, uh, is, is it <laughs> it's grand is it is it too much of a good thing? Almost, but I liked it. <laughs> it was good. Um, and this at, is, that's not a commercial for McDonald's. I'm just telling you my opinion. At the Popcorn <laughs> Talk here, uh, check out our other shows. Check out our other anatomies. Speaking of the movie that made $40 million that uh, competed with this one was Split. So we just did that one. Definitely check that one out. Only if you have seen the movie. Yes. Um, and, of course, uh, tons of other anatomies in the past and uh, in the future. So uh, we'll keep you updated on all the various shows we're doing. But bye for now. Thanks, folks. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.